Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually... Um, Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. What's going on, oddities? Welcome to another oddcast featuring me. Your odd man out, and as always, thank you for taking your time to hang out with me once again. Well, it is Monday, October 16th, 2023, and we're several days now into this whole Israel versus Palestine war. Things keep getting crazier. Palestine's been without water now for several days, and electricity, and now broadband. It's only a matter of time before people start dying of thirst and other things as well. And, of course, we know that there's been a lot of death and destruction and injury. And we're not going to know about a lot of that because the broadband has been cut off. And we know, of course, that has to be the reason they did it. But I want to talk to you about a few things that are connected to this whole thing. Some things that have been bugging me. Some things that I've noticed. Some things that you guys have probably noticed as well. And one thing that drives me crazy as a Christian, and not a very good one, I always say that, I say, look, I'm not a great Christian, I'm a, you know, I struggle, I want to be like Christ, I want to follow the tenets of Christ, but I'm not trying to be somebody who's on some kind of high horse acting like I'm better than everybody else. One thing that really drives me crazy since this thing has been going on is all these mostly evangelical churches, organizations, and, of course, all the mainstream conservative organizations and pundits saying, pray for Israel, having that banner on their website or their social media, pray for Israel. And I think to myself immediately every time I see that, so we're only supposed to pray for one set of peoples, never mind that there is a whole other set of innocent people whom a lot more of those innocent people are going to be killed and going to die and suffer because 
they're much poorer, not as well funded, not nearly as technologically advanced, and don't have the backing of the West and everyone else. And I think to myself immediately, that is anti-Christian to me. That's anti-Christ. That is not what Christianity is about whatsoever. And you don't have to obviously take Hamas's side to agree with that. It's just really sad, the state of the church. It doesn't surprise me with mainstream conservatism because it's really just always been, in the modern era, compromised. It's basically another arm of the Israeli government and their cronies and, of course, the military-industrial complex, the banks and all that. And I've, I've talked about this many times on this show, but I listened to conservative radio for years and years, read several books by Hannity and Ingram and Limbaugh and Neil Bortz. They never talked about anything really deep except they might get into the Kennedy assassination a little bit, but that was still just speculative. You're never going to hear about the you're never going to hear about the central banks and how that whole scheme was put together and how it works. You're not going to hear anything negative about Israel or Israeli GovCorp, as I call it, the government and the, the big private sector. You're not going to hear anything negative about them. It's all a love fest because, one, these people are partly, some of them, getting paid to advertise for the Israeli government and Israeli companies, Israeli-owned companies, Jewish-owned companies who have a lot of sway. And so you're not going to hear negatives. You're not going to hear about all kinds of things solely because of their ads, their ad revenue. They don't want to offend anyone, so they can't go very deep to begin with. So they mostly just have to blame everything on the, the main people like Biden and Pelosi and whoever is out in front. And, you know, that's just kind of the territory with mainstream conservatism. It's not very deep. You know, we talk about the onion. You're never going to go very deep on a conservative podcast if it's a mainstream conservative podcast. And a lot of the newer conservative podcasts are just the same. They're all about just blaming the Democrats for everything and never looking inward or never really going deeply into things. Another thing I want to talk about is, you know, I've been tweeting like crazy on this whole Israeli-Palestine thing, and it's one of those things that gets everybody passionate, and this is kind of my beat, so of course I'm going to tweet things out or X things out, (laughs) I guess as they're saying now, and I'm going to reply to people when they say stupid stuff, and I'm going to say things that I've learned through this big-time history lesson that many people are not aware of. One of the things that really drives me crazy, another thing, right, is I think that there is a tendency, especially among the conservatives and Christians, to talk about the synagogue of Satan, which is a reference in the Bible, and talk about the Khazarians and Ashkenazis, but say that they are not Jews, which is kind of understandable to a certain degree, and I've even said similar things, but let me be specific here. They're doing it to take any blame off of Jews, okay? And of course, if you look in the Bible at the ancient Hebrews, 
Oftentimes, they did many things that were horrible, and God punished them severely for it. So I think that that's a little naive to act like that the Jews can't do anything evil or bad. And from what we can tell, unless further information comes along, that the Ashkenazi are part Jew and part European. So we know that it's mostly Ashkenazi here in the States that control everything, something like 85 to 90%, I believe. It's about half and half in Israel from what I can understand. So I think that we shouldn't just say, oh, that's just the Ashkenazi, that's just the Khazarians, that's just the synagogue of Satan, they're not real Jews. I think it all depends on how you look at what Judaism means. Is it a religion? Is it an ethnicity? Uh, You know, you go back to biblical times, it's debatable, but it seems to me like it was a religion, and now it's whatever people want it to be, depending on what they're trying to say or what they're trying to defend. But the Sephardi are guilty also of doing some pretty bad things. And don't forget that Shabbatai Zvi was a Sephardic Jew. I believe that the writer of the Kosher Pig, The Return of the Kosher Pig, what is his name? Uh, My friend Deanna Loper, who wrote Kabbalah Secrets Christians Need to Know, Her book was about this guy, and I'm blanking on his name. Oh, it was Rabbi Yitzhak Shapira, Return of the Kosher Pig. He's a Sephardic Jew as well. Uh, Also, he wrote a book or co-wrote a book called The King's Torah, which I believe his co-writer was actually arrested over. It said horrible things in there about Gentiles, about blacks, about non-Jews. This was just a few years ago. And there's been some other Sephardic Jews, uh, rabbis mostly, who've said some awful things and called for some awful things. So we don't want to just act like a whole people are not capable of doing evil things. All people are capable of doing evil things. So that's just one thing that I wanted to get off my chest. I think that's become just kind of a scapegoat for a lot of Christians and uh, conservatives because they don't want to blame Jews for anything. And I think that the reason that is is because they do feel like they are connected to them, and they are connected to them by a thread. But I think they have to be honest about this whole thing and understand that there's really no such thing as Judeo-Christian. That was concocted during World War II by, I believe if I'm not mistaken, a New York Times editor. So it's been a way to kind of pull in the Christians, and it's really went a long way to helping form Christian Zionism, which is really one of the reasons why we're in such a mess that we're in. Uh, Again, you know, you talk about the Christians only praying for Israel, and they are so Israel-centric that it's almost become laughable if it weren't so sad. And under this Palestinian genocide, they're actually, I would say, I don't think this is being too harsh at all, they're aiding and abetting in mass murder. And they've always been giving excuses for no matter what the Jews do, the Israelis do there in Palestine. And so this is really nothing new, but it's on a more mass scale under this war. And, of course, we've talked about all the massacres that happened early on when they formed the State of Israel, the Dar Yassin Massacre, 
and others. And I'll remind people that there were something like 485 villages at one time there in Palestine before the Jews came in and started running everybody off and killing everybody. And kind of on this note here, uh, one of my followers on Twitter, I won't name names, but former followers, I actually blocked them. And I know that sounds weak, but I just don't want to argue religion on Twitter. I really just don't want to do it. So it's just easier to block these people because they're not saying anything new. They're just kind of towing that dispensationalist Zionist line. And I don't feel like arguing about it, but the person called me a Jew basher. So what's up with all this Jew bashing? And I said, well, you know, basically tell me what specifically you disagree with that I posted. And then they went on to try to tell me that I needed to differentiate between God's people, the Jews, and the synagogue of Satan, Ashkenazi, the Khazarians. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, how do you do that? You tell me who you think is the innocent people. I'm just talking about things that are good and things that are evil. I don't care what the people call themselves. I don't care who they are or what organization they belong to or what ethnicity they are. If they're doing something evil, and especially as an organizational group, then I think you should call it out. So that's all I'm doing, and that's all I'm going to continue to do if it's the Lord's will. But I thought that was kind of silly. But again, these people are trying to give the Jews an excuse, and they're trying every way in the world to come up with ideas to do that. They don't want to admit any wrongdoing. Of course, this is not all the Jews. In fact, I think that there's going to be a pushback. There's already a little bit of a pushback. Uh, We've seen some IDF or former IDF soldiers talking about how this was a breach that had to be on purpose. Uh, You know, people say that a cat can come within a mile of their surveillance system and their security system and 20 Jeeps will be rolling up in two minutes. So we've heard that from multiple sources, multiple inside sources. So again, if you haven't watched my videos, I believe that this was allowed to happen, as a lot of people do, in order to actually go into war, because we know that that has been a long-term plan to take much more of the Middle East, the rest of Palestine, uh, you know, Lebanon, part of Egypt, if not all of Egypt, Syria, and other places. And and I'll also remind my Christian friends that it says in the Bible that the Israelites were a rebellious house. It says that numerous times. Jesus told them their house had been made desolate because of repeated disobedience. And after all, ignoring evil is evil itself. So we're just calling things as we see them. We don't wish anything bad on innocent Jews. We don't wish anything bad on innocent Arabs and Palestinians. And, you know, even some of the libertarian-leaning people have really come out in favor of this whole genocidal program. It just goes to show that a lot of people aren't quite who they say they are. And I realize that there is a pretty big Ashkenazi presence in the Libertarian Party, so that may have something to do with it. But there are some really good ones out there speaking out against this, like Dave Smith. And I applaud him for that, for fighting these people, because there's a lot of these pro-war, warmonger types. You know, and since when do we defend a government blindly? That's another thing that we've talked about before, but 
you know, most of us, if you're listening to this, don't trust our own government. You know, how often did our founders tell us not to trust politicians and government? And most of us don't. Yet, all these people, a lot of them who talk about liberty and freedom and smaller government and not trusting politicians, absolutely, without a doubt, 100% blindly trust the Israeli government and don't even really know who's in it. They know Netanyahu, probably don't know one other person in that government. I'd say the vast majority of them have no clue about even how the government was put together, the, the Likud party and how that came to be, the Jewish power party that's now merged with the Likud party. So it's really ridiculous for these people to blindly trust a foreign government who's full of bureaucrats and cronies as well, just like our government. I mean, you know, no matter what, anytime you trust a government or a bureaucracy like that, sooner or later you're going to be defending mass murder, most likely. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing. Maybe they don't realize it just yet, but they're absolutely doing that. Uh, You know, we talk about how Republicans, and they say they believe in free speech, unless you're criticizing the Israeli government and their cronies. They say they believe in free markets, but but you better not boycott any Israeli businesses. Uh, They claim that they're for less spending, but obviously they can never give enough of our money to the Israeli government, which is an already rich country that we've talked about many times on the show. They say that corporate media is fake news, but by God, since this whole Israeli-Palestine war started, they believe everything positive about Israel and everything negative about the Arabs and the Muslims Palestinians. So you really got to look at the hypocrisy involved here. A lot of these people are just playing a part. They're just really playing the tribalism game. And these pundits, these conservative pundits, are out of their minds. The Ben Shapiros and the Mark Levins and the Charlie Kirks and the Brent Bozells from MRC TV who who basically just repost Ben Shapiro tweets and Mark Levin tweets. And you notice, too, that a lot of these guys are either Council for National Policy members or have been Council for National Policy speakers, or maybe you don't realize that, but CNP, the Council for National Policy, the Secret Right, you probably heard me talk about that. You may have heard my friend John Brisson talk about that, who's really the man to look at if you want to look at that group in particular, but A lot of these people that are calling for blanket carpet bombing and leveling Gaza and turning it into a parking lot happen to be Council for National Policy members or connected. So I think we need to look at that. Uh, Brent Bozell, Charlie Kirk that I just mentioned, Mark Levin certainly has been a guest there. Glenn Beck's been a guest there, I believe. I believe Sean Hannity has been a guest there. And remember... They don't give out their roster, and they don't give out their agendas, and all these things have had to have been leaked. There's been hidden video, too, that has surfaced, as well as these guest list books. So we do know some. We keep learning more and more about this group. Why the secrecy, I always say. And these are the same people that created the Heritage Foundation, and they created the American Legislative Executive Council, 
or is that the American Legislative Exchange Council? I always get those two mixed up. But that's a big corporate thing with corporate members. A lot of big pharma businesses, corporations are in there at the top. So a lot of this always goes back to money, unfortunately. Another thing I wanted to talk about is the prophecy perverts. Now, what do I mean about prophecy perverts? Well, these pastors, these evangelical pastors for the most part, always when it comes to Israel, no matter what they do, no matter what is being done to them, they try and act as if it is prophecy, if it's biblical. It doesn't matter what it is. And they've really, unfortunately, bastardized the scriptures. And I've noticed that some of these guys have been pretty quiet until recently. People like Josh Peck, all of a sudden now he's doing videos right and left, pushing this Gog and Magog narrative. These guys, I mean, it's really pitiful what they've done to cheapen our beautiful faith by all these ridiculous claims. And a lot of the scriptures and the prophecies in the Bible have happened already, but people don't want to, they don't want to really look at the timeline and when these scriptures were written and what happened when the second temple was destroyed and all these different things that have happened already. They just do not want to look at it. And, you know, once I started thinking about that, I'm like, you know what? These guys kind of do the same thing that these capitalists and these messianic Jews do with scripture. They twist it to make it mean whatever they want it to mean. They try to take things that were written about people and places from long ago and then twist it to mean people and places today when it has nothing to do with today. But they do that for a reason so they can justify nefarious things for the most part and also so they can control people, so they can keep people interested, so they can get more subscriptions, so they can sell more books and those kinds of things. But anyway, it's just disappointing to see all these crazy people uh, saying all this stuff about Israel and how this is, you know, this is the end times and this is the Gog and Magog war that's about to happen and all this stuff. Really getting people worked up and leading people astray, leading people the wrong way. And it's a damn shame. It really is. A lot of these guys should be thrown out of the churches and kicked to the curb, but it's not going to happen because unfortunately most of the audiences you know, the uh, congregations and the watchers, the listeners, they don't know enough themselves to be able to understand that what they're being told is incorrect. You know, another thing about all of these people calling for this, what may end up being World War III, God forbid, it's like they didn't learn anything from the War on Terror or even the Vietnam War. And you guys know how I feel about the war on terror and the Vietnam War. It wasn't about the wars. It was about what could be done under the fog of war. And I'm certain that there's going to be all kinds of stuff being done, probably being done right now, under this fog of war. Uh, I think that, you know, with Netanyahu having all those problems and the people not accepting his government, and he's had numerous legal problems himself, that things were getting out of hand. Things weren't coming his way the way his party wanted it to come. And wow, they've forgotten about all that, I'm sure. And don't you know these guys are probably getting legislation ready to enact under this veil of fear and chaos there in his own state. 
you know, they do the same things to their people as our government does to us. And of course, this is just going to ensure more fear and more obedience from a lot of their people. And that's sad because I think that they were on the cusp of having a revolution. People weren't really paying attention to that. They were keeping it very hush-hush here in the Western media, in the American media anyway. But I was following Israeli media quite a bit, as I do now, and they were talking about it a lot. And, man, it seemed like things were getting pretty crazy. And uh, they weren't able to get their legislation done the way they wanted it to, which is, and I've talked about this, but kind of going back to the Talmudic laws and the Noahide laws, which they have planned. And I don't want to get off on a tangent, but the Noahide laws, think about this. If you guys haven't looked into the, the Noahide laws, these Messianic and Kabbalistic Jews, Orthodox Jews, Hasidic Jews, they want to push these Noahide laws. They want to implement them. They claim that Noah was given these laws. I can't remember if it was after or before the flood. And that every Jew and every Gentile should follow them. Now there's dozens for Jews and there's seven for Gentiles. But there's also sub-laws that they don't talk about that much. And there's a book called The Divine Code. I can't remember the rabbi that wrote it, but he was backed by some big Jewish organization, some religious Judaistic organization, if that's a word. And it's like over 800 pages, and it's just talking about if these Noahide laws were enacted, what it means for Jews and Gentiles. There is capital punishment for these laws, some of these laws. And they try to kind of go over that and act like, well, not really capital punishment. But I looked in this book, you know how you can look in a PDF and you can type in a word in the search and it'll tell you how many times the word is in the book. I think it was like 216 times capital punishment was in this divine code book. And getting back to my original point, so these Noahide laws are especially being pushed by the Chabad sect of Judaism. We talked about in the past, Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump are part of this. Uh, the rabbi Menachem Mendel Sneerson was the seventh rabbi and the most important they even thought that he was a messiah. Many of them still do, even though he's dead. And he was one of the main cheerleaders for these Noahide laws. And I look at Prager, who has spoken numerous times with various Chabad temples. I look at Ben Shapiro, who's spoken at Chabad events and said that he's very close to Chabad. Family members go to Chabad temples. And these guys are pushing these Noahide laws. And they're Kabbalists as well. And I think you need to understand that with Shapiro being an Orthodox Jew, so is he. They won't talk about that kind of stuff. They won't talk about the mystical aspect, but he, if he's an Orthodox Jew, he's into Kabbalistic and mystical beliefs. So we need to understand that these guys that are hanging out with these organizations that are pushing these crazy ideas are dangerous as hell, and hardly anybody will talk about it. Some idiot that used to be in a band who doesn't even have a good education has to be the one to tell you about this stuff because hardly anybody else will dare to talk about it and hardly anybody else knows about it except them. 
And getting back to the idea of if we do go to World War III with Iran, God knows who else. I mean, think about the war on terror. I may have said this in the last episode, but how much of a failure the war on terror was. Millions dead, trillions wasted, destruction of infrastructure, displacement of millions of people. And I think that that is all a part of the plan, you know, to continue to displace people. You look at the Greater Israel Project, which has been underway for years and years and years. The uh, New Israel Project that Condoleezza Rice spoke of that was, I think, actually drafted by one of the Carnegie Institutes. They were pushing that around 2006. It's the U.K., the U.S., and course, Israel wanting to redraw the maps of the entire Middle East. And this is a Zionist idea that I'm sure we talked about on the last episode. But again, you look up Theodore Herzl's diary, volume two, they have a map in there of all the land they wanted to take in the Middle East, which is a big chunk of it. And to do that, they will have to overthrow several governments for certain And so that's on the long-term list. And if we also look even deeper than that, again, with these Orthodox Jews and what they believe, that the whole world will one day be run by them, and the base will be Israel. Okay, I hate to talk about these things numerous times, but any of you new listeners need to understand that this is taught. This is what a lot of these guys who are in power believe. And no person in their right mind, especially in America, after the war on terror, after Vietnam, after Libya, after us supporting the Saudis in the Yemeni genocide, could think that another war would fix anything. War is destroying us. Let's look at a couple of quotes here. Jefferson said, now this is not a direct quote, Jefferson said that debt was the single biggest threat to liberty. I mean, hands down, he said that was even more of a threat than a foreign enemy. And then Madison said the means of defense against foreign danger has always been the instruments of tyranny at home. You understand? And so with just those two quotes, you understand that our representatives have pushed these wars for years and years and years, which caused great amounts of debt. So you get the war and the debt, And it is destroying us from within. So really, it's our own people who have hurt us the worst by fooling us into supporting these awful things. And, you know, how can people call themselves patriots and support unconstitutional wars and support things that cause greater debt and support things that cause the government to grow? We claim we're small government, but yet the right always makes government bigger, always makes the bureaucracy bigger. I mean, we're the magical number 33 now, 33, ding, 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 trillion plus in debt. It's just unbelievable. Now to kind of change things a little bit, it's kind of in the same realm, but you're just talking about those we don't speak of, this subject that this show is about, You know, a lot of Christian and secular authors that write about the occult and New Age beliefs, it's weird because 
especially with the Christians, but even the secular people, they don't seem to dive very deeply or they don't want to point this out for whatever reason. Maybe because anytime you say anything about those we don't speak of, you're called an anti-Semite, and that's not good for selling books. But if you want to look at New Age beliefs and the occult, the basis for it, almost everyone I've ever looked at was Kabbalah and the Tree of Life. Of course, you've got aspects of Hermeticism in some, and you've got usually there is at least some astrology aspect to occult beliefs. But, man, all these belief systems hinge around the Kabbalah. It's unbelievable. And, of course, these rabbis, these Orthodox rabbis, are still practicing this stuff. They have amulets. They believe in reincarnation. I mean, there's all kinds of things that they believe that are New Age. And you'll see even pastors that point out stuff about the New Age and the occult creeping into the church never mention this aspect of it, where it comes from. It's it's just ridiculous that they don't have the either the foresight or the guts to actually tell the whole truth. So these guys that are writing these big books about the occult and don't talk about and focus on this aspect coming from Judaism, the Lurianic Kabbalah and whatnot, they're leaving out so much of the truth that they end up having to blame other groups for a lot of things that should go here and, and be traced back to these people who come up with these Kabbalistic crazy beliefs. You have to wonder if some of them are not on some kind of payroll and trying to kind of divert attention away from that. And let's talk about secrecy, okay, with these people who have these Kabbalistic beliefs, and that includes the Likud Party members and the Jewish Power Party members over there in Israel who have merged together. A lot of these rabbis over there are some of the most powerful people in the state, if you want to call it a state. And it says here, the Zohar says that when the verse tells us that Jacob's hand was holding Esau's heel, the Torah is setting the stage and is telling us how Jacob in the future will have to deal with Esau. Now remember that these rabbis teach that the West and Christianity in Rome is Esau, Edom Esau. And they believe that, of course, America, you know, all those places have to fall goes on to say, he is going to have to deal with him by attacking at the heel. That is, Jacob, Israel, is going to have to deal with Esau, the entire West, by attacking it at the heel. It goes on, he is going to have to deal with him sometimes deceitfully and surreptitiously. That is the only way one can deal with that snake. goes on to say, our sages taught the meaning of this verse. And this, is, this is 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty-seven. With a pure one, you show yourself pure, but with a perverse one, you deal crookedly. And the KJV says, With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the froward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. And that's not talking about modern Rome, the West, and Christianity, but they twist it to mean that. It goes on to say here, They taught that you cannot always be upfront and straightforward with a person who is a liar. Even Jacob, the man of truth, has a mandate from the Torah that the way to deal with Esau is by heel, which is connoted in Jacob's name, 
and that is from the Betamuna or Betamuna website, which is one of these websites that talks about Judaism, of course. And I'm really worried, as a lot of people are, that there is a false flag on the way, or they're going to purposely stand down and let some kind of big attack or something terrible happen in the States here, or even in the UK, that will push us into World War III, because that goes right along with Pearl Harbor. If you guys are familiar with Robert Stennett's book, Day of Deceit, and how he documented all this stuff, it's just unbelievable how the administration wanted an attack. They knew it was coming. They didn't tell the sailors. They tried to blame an admiral and I believe a general, uh, even took their stripes away and whatnot. But I think maybe they finally got them back. But it's a real terrible story. But really, it tells us that they'll do anything to go to war. We also know now, after decades, that the Gulf of Tonkin incident wasn't like they told us it was. That was also used as a reason to go to war in Vietnam, which had nothing to do with us. And, of course, I'll mention the babies and incubators from Iraq War One, which was a lie. And then we get these 40 beheaded babies, which nobody can prove, which sounded immediately to me like fake news, if you're familiar with all these other things. But, man, I am telling you how all the conservatives ran with it. Because they want to believe it. And again, a lot of these regular average conservatives, unfortunately, they couldn't even point out Jerusalem on a map. I mean, these people don't know any of the history that I talk about on this show. And even if they were subjected to it, they would deny it. And and I understand they've been programmed that way. They've been conditioned that way their whole lives because, I mean, the propaganda is damn good, you have to admit. And uh, the thing is with a lot of these talking heads. You know, I I mentioned that some are on a payroll and some are just trying to capitalize on this terrible situation. And that's just as bad. It's just ridiculous what some of these people are pushing, knowing how horrible our foreign policy has been. Literally, you know, you see the people complaining about Ukraine funding. Then we go into immediately $8 billion to Israel either the same day or the day after Hamas supposedly got through and attacked, and people were supporting it automatically. It's just a crazy, bizarre time that we live in where people do not even begin to sense their own hypocrisy. But there's always a lot of people who stand to make a lot of money off of bad events, unfortunate events and wars. And really with the uh, conservatives in particular, there's a lot of liberals calling for war too, but the conservative talking heads in particular, it really gives them more ammunition against Biden because, you know, they, as I said in the last episode, they'll blame Biden for everything. And half the time they say he's senile and crazy. And the other time they're acting like he's behind all this stuff. They'll never talk about who is controlling his administration. They want to say that Obama, Obama's controlling his administration. Obama's in the background calling the shots. I have seen that so many times, and I think I said it recently, but Obama wasn't calling the shots. I mean, we know, as we talked about before, that that Citibank picked Obama's cabinet. You know, that email was leaked, and I can't remember if it was the CEO of Citibank at the time or not, but he put forth all these names, and nearly every one of those names ended up in the Obama administration. And then, you know, we did uh, go over 
recently how many of the Ashkenazi Jews were in Obama's administration, just like Biden's and just like George W.'s. And it's, I think, in particular important under George W. Bush because that's when the war on terror began. And that's when they really ramped up the idea of rewriting the maps of the entire Middle East. And I think they thought they were going to get that done. But again, maybe they didn't even have an end goal. Maybe they thought it would come together a little faster, easier, or maybe they were just trying to cause all kinds of chaos so they could change our government, change the policies in America, change the policies in the UK and other places while people were scared to death, while people were angry, while people were distracted. And I don't want to beat a dead horse. We've talked about how Israel created Hamas basically by their funding of Muslim rebels, but let's go over this just a little bit. This is an article from Global Research, and it says here, The History, the Relationship Between Mossad and Hamas. Operation Al-Aqsa Storm, or OAAS. Was Hamas acting on behalf of the people of Palestine? What is the relationship between Mossad and Hamas? Is Hamas an intelligence asset? There is a long history. Hamas, or Harakat al Mukawama, I cannot read the rest of that, al-Islamiya, the Islamic resistance movement, was founded in 1987 by Sheikh Ahmed Yassin. It was supported at the outset by Israeli intelligence as a means to weaken the Palestinian Authority. Thanks to Mossad, Israel's Institute for the Intelligence and Special Tasks, Hamas was allowed to reinforce its presence in the occupied territories. Meanwhile, Arafat's Fatah movement for national liberation, as well as the Palestinian left, were subjected to the most brutal form of repression and intimidation. Let us not forget that it was Israel, in fact, which created Hamas, according to Z.F. Sternell, historian at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Quote, Israel thought that it was a smart ploy to push the Islamists against the Palestinian Liberation Organization, or the PLO. Unquote. The links of Hamas to Mossad and U.S. intelligence have been acknowledged by Representative Ron Paul in a statement to the U.S. Congress. He said, quote, Hamas was started by Israel, unquote. We've all seen that great piece where Ron Paul explains how terrorists are created. Paul goes on to say, you know Hamas, if you look at the history, you'll find out Hamas was encouraged and really started by Israel because they wanted Hamas to counteract Yasser Arafat. What this statement entails is that Hamas is and remains an intelligence asset, namely an asset which serves the interests of intelligence agencies. See also the Wall Street Journal, How Israel Helped Spawn Hamas, and I think we've read that on the show. It goes on to say, instead of trying to curb Gaza's Islamists from the outset, says Mr. Cohen, Israel for years tolerated and in some cases encouraged them as a counterweight to the secular nationalists of the Palestine Liberation Organization and its dominant faction, Yasser Arafat's Fatah. Let's talk about the Nakba for a minute. On May 13, 2023, the Nakba, 75 years ago on May 13, 1948, the Palestinian catastrophe prevails. In 2018, the report, the United Nations stated that Gaza had become unlivable. With an economy in freefall, 70% of youth unemployed, and widely contaminated drinking water, 
a collapsed healthcare system, Gaza has become unlivable, according to a special report on human rights in the Palestinian territories. We can go on and on about that, but what I really want to get to is the Greater Israel Project. And this is by Mikhail Chasudovsky. I probably butchered that. The following document pertaining to the formation of Greater Israel constitutes the cornerstone of powerful Zionist factions within the current Netanyahu government, the Likud Party, as well as within the Israeli military and intelligence establishment. President Donald Trump had confirmed in January 2017 his support of Israel's illegal settlements, including his opposition to UN Security Council Resolution 2334 pertaining to the illegality of the Israeli settlements in the occupied West Bank. The Trump administration expressed its recognition of Israeli sovereignty over Golan Heights, and now the entire West Bank is being annexed to Israel. Under the Biden administration, despite rhetorical shifts in the political narrative, Washington remains supportive of Israel's plans to annex the entire Jordan River Valley as well as illegal settlements in the West Bank. Now bear in mind that the Greater Israel design is not strictly a Zionist project for the Middle East. It is an integral part of the U.S. foreign policy. Its strategic objective is to extend U.S. hegemony as well as fracture and balkanize the Middle East. In this regard, Washington's strategy consists in destabilizing and weakening regional economic powers in the Middle East, including Turkey and Iran. This policy, which is consistent with Greater Israel, is accompanied by a process of political fragmentation. Since the Gulf War, 1991, the Pentagon has contemplated the creation of a free Kurdistan, which would include the annexation of parts of Iraq, Syria, Iran, as well as Turkey. According to the founding father of Zionism, Theodore Herzl, the area of the Jewish state stretches from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates. According to Rabbi Fishman, the Promised Land extends from the river of Egypt up to the Euphrates. It includes parts of Syria and Lebanon. And think about that. They bomb Syria all the time. They've tried to take Lebanon in the past. This all makes total sense if people just knew these plans in this history. And I'll go on with this article here. When viewed in the current context, including the siege on Gaza, the Zionist plan for the Middle East bears an intimate relationship to the 2003 invasion of Iraq and the 2006 war on Lebanon, the 2011 war on Libya, and the ongoing wars on Syria, Iraq, and Yemen, not to mention the political crisis in Saudi Arabia. The Greater Israel Project consists in weakening and eventually fracturing neighboring Arab states as part of the U.S.-Israeli expansionist project with the support of NATO and Saudi Arabia. In this regard, the Saudi-Israeli rapprochement is from Netanyahu's viewpoint a means to expanding Israel's spheres of influence in the Middle East as well as confronting Iran. Needless to say, the Greater Israel Project is consistent with America's imperial design. That is unfortunately true, man. That's what I've been trying to tell you guys. Greater Israel consists in an area extending from the Nile Valley to the Euphrates, according to Stephen Lindman. A near century ago, the World Zionist Organization's plan for a Jewish state included historic Palestine, South Lebanon up to the Sidon and the Litani River, Syria's Golan Heights, Haran Plain, and Dara, and control of the Hejaz Railway 
from Dara to Amman, Jordan, as well as the Gulf of Aqaba. Some Zionists wanted more land from the Nile in the west to the Euphrates in the east, comprising Palestine, Lebanon, western Syria, and southern Turkey. The Zionist project has supported the Jewish settlement movement. More broadly, it involves a policy of excluding Palestinians from Palestine, leading to the annexation of both the West Bank and Gaza to the state of Israel. I apologize, guys. I've got a cold. It's nasty. The project of Greater Israel is to create a number of proxy states, which could include parts of Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, and the Sinai, as well as parts of Iraq and Saudi Arabia. I'll put this link in my show notes. According to Mahdi Darius in a 2011 Global Research article, the Yunnan Plan was a continuation of Britain's colonial design in the Middle East. The Yunnan Plan is an Israeli strategic plan to ensure Israeli regional superiority. It includes and stipulates that Israel must reconfigure its geopolitical environment through the balkanization of the surrounding Arab states into smaller and weaker states. Israeli strategists viewed Iraq as their biggest strategic challenge from an Arab state. This is why Iraq was outlined as the centerpiece to the balkanization of the Middle East and the Arab world. In Iraq, on the basis of the concepts of the Yunnan Plan, Israeli strategists have called for the division of Iraq into a Kurdish state and two Arab states, one for the Shiite Muslims and the other for the Sunnis. The first step towards establishing this was a war between Iraq and Iran, which the Yunnan Plan discusses. The Atlantic in 2008 and the U.S. Military's Armed Forces Journal in 2006 both published widely circulated maps that closely followed the outline of the Yunnan Plan. Aside from a divided Iraq, which the Biden plan also calls for, the Yunnan plan calls for a divided Lebanon, Egypt, and Syria. You know, they want Assad gone in Syria badly. The partitioning of Iran, Turkey, Somalia, and Pakistan also all fall into line with these views. The Yunnan plan also calls for the dissolution in North Africa and forecast it as starting from Egypt and then spilling over to Sudan, Libya, and the rest of the region. These MFers want to take over large parts of the world and remake it in their image. And I'm telling you guys, this is what they believe. They believe that they will be the ones to control the world one day. Greater Israel would require the breaking up of existing Arab states into small states. The plan operates on two essential premises— To survive, Israel must, one, become an imperial regional power, and two, must affect the division of the whole area into small states by the dissolution of all existing Arab states. Understand what I'm saying here? Small here will depend on the ethnic or sectarian composition of each state. Consequently, the Zionist hope is that sectarian-based states become Israel's satellites and and ironically, its source of moral legitimation. This is not a new idea, nor does it surface for the first time in Zionist strategic thinking. Indeed, fragmenting all Arab states into smaller units has been a recurrent theme. Viewed in this context, the U.S. NATO-led wars in Syria and Iraq are part of the process of Israeli territorial expansion. 
In this regard, the defeat of U.S.-sponsored terrorists, ISIS or al-Nusra, Assyrian forces, with the support of Russia, Iran, and Hezbollah, constitute a significant setback for Israel. Isn't that something? I don't know what to tell you guys, but I think that a lot of people know in their hearts that this is the plan. Maybe they didn't know all the specifics, but from the Zionists who were mostly secular, going back even farther to the Orthodox rabbis and their beliefs, and then to exactly what's happening today, it's all a part of an ongoing operation And these people are hell-bent on winning, and they do not care how many people have to die. They do not care what they have to say to get what they want done. They will lie through their teeth time and time again. And just before I end this, I want to just remind people, once again, think about how all these people lie to us about the Iraq War, the Afghanistan War, Libya, justified bombing Syria, justified Yemen justified all the things that George W. Bush and Barack Obama was doing. And once again, I'll remind people, more people died under Obama than even under George W. Justified all of the people killed by drones under Obama and Trump. Obama killed a lot of people with drones and Trump killed even more. And not many people want to talk about that, but they've changed the way that they report that stuff. And it's much more secretive now. And I'll also remind people that We know Mossad for a long time as an infamous assassination program. And, you know, we could do a whole show on that for sure, but I won't go into that right now. I want to mention this, and this will be the last thing. There is a propaganda operation underway to condition everyone to go along with whatever the United States government and the Israeli government and probably the U.K. government, I don't know, whatever they do as far as the Middle East goes, to further this plan we just spoke of. And you see Hannity and Levin and Shapiro and all these people, Ruben and all these idiots. And these are the same people that lied to us before. And they're trying to condition people to believe, just like George W. Bush said, you're either for us or you with the terrorists. That is total BS because we're talking about Palestinian people separate from Hamas. Like 40% of them are under the age of 16. These are men, women, and children, most of them, the vast majority of them, that have nothing to do with Hamas, and they are being genocided. They're getting the green light to genocide them. People are endorsing it. People who call themselves Christians and conservatives and patriots are endorsing it, and they don't even realize that one of these days in the future, we're all next, because going back to what the rabbis say, if you... Do not want to be ruled by Israel eventually when all this comes together. You will be killed. Or you can go along and become a willing Torah slave in which every Jew will have 2,800 non-Jews under his wing. That's not my words again. That is their words. That's what they teach. Certainly not all Jews believe that. In fact, I don't think that most Jews even know about that teaching. And if they did, they would probably think it was insane. Because as I've always said, their government over there is using psychological warfare on them as well to control them and keep them scared. So they'll go along with all this crap, genocides and the remaking of the entire Middle East and all that, thinking it's good for them. But by God, we saw under the new government in January in Israel, 
when the people said, no, we don't want this new government. We don't want these racist people like Itamar bin Gavir. We don't want this new Talmudic, Noahide type of law system. They weren't putting up with it. You understand? And Netanyahu and company could not handle that. The Jewish Power Party and the Likud Party couldn't handle that. And these Orthodox rabbis over there who are very powerful could not handle that. That's all I got for today. I hope that you got something out of this show. I just want to ask you to please pray for all the people negatively affected by this war and this genocide. And with that, guys, we're going to end this episode of the Oddcast featuring me, your odd man, out. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you learned something, and I hope you'll share it if you think it's worth it. I want to thank my patrons right away. I want to thank Scott. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, KF. Thank you, Cole. Thank you, that crazy bread man, for being a covert co-conspirator. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Ruckus, for being a producer of the show. And you can check out Ruckus on TNT Radio and also on Alternate Current Radio. He has a show on there called The Daily Ruckus, which I don't believe he's been doing current episodes, but there's plenty of past episodes on there. And you can find him popping up on all sorts of shows on TNT Radio. Thank you, No Evil Shall I Fear, for being a producer of the show. Thank you, Mark, from Live. Get on over there and check out Mark's fantastic work. He's done a lot of great work on the COVID vaccines. Thank you, James. Thank you, Bill, for being a producer of the show. Thank you to the Mighty Kilowatt. Thank you to Sir Tim of the Tunnels. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Jack Allen, for Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. Get on over there and check out all of Jack's shows on YouTube and all your fine podcasting platforms. With that being said, guys, I want to thank my podcasting family at AlternateCurrentRadio.com. Check out all their talk and music shows. You will not be disappointed. And honestly, especially in these days and times with everything being so intense, a lot of us could benefit from just sitting back and listening to some tunes. I know that I need to do that a lot more often, so I suggest checking out their website. Thank you to FringeRadioNetwork.com for carrying the show. And check out all my links in the podcast episode. Feel free to send me a comment, curse me out, give me a blessing, whatever you want to do. I appreciate it. And if you want to support my work, I guess I should give you my Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash the odd man out. Look for two more shows, maybe three more shows on this subject coming up in the near future. Cheers and blessings. And remember, guys, their order is not our order. See ya. This map and this description of what constituted Eretz Israel included all of Palestine, all of Transjordan, Cisjordan as it was then called, Arabia, two-thirds of Arabia, Egypt up to the Nile, including Cairo, all of Lebanon, two-thirds of Syria, one-half of Iraq, the southern tier of Turkey, and Kuwait. Eretz, a formal document. So the Zionist apparatus and its imperial masters hadn't the slightest intention of resting with the partitioning and the handing over to this colonial settler uh, population, which was a 
29% of the population by this time, 55% of the most fertile land. Within six months, even before the formation of the state, the Zionist apparatus carried out a massacre from one end of Palestine to the other, 